I brought the whiteboard out today. I thought I'd re go back to my uh, teaching days. I used to be a high school English teacher, and uh, so we're going to be extra teachery today. So uh, I'll try to write big. I, I felt the next couple weeks I wanted to do this, so we'll see how it goes. If it, if it doesn't go well, I won't do it anymore, but anyway. <laughs> if you have your Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. Last week, we started a series really about our resources, and in particular, our, our finances, and we're calling it Abound, and we're taking that title from this scripture, which says that God is able to make all grace, everybody say all grace, all grace. Abound, toward you, abound toward you, that we, that we always, always, having all sufficiency, in all things, in all things may abound to every good work. All right, what's that mean? Well, he says that God's able to make grace, which is his provision, his wisdom, his power, his love, his kindness. It's the divine enablement. He's able to make all grace abound toward you so that you can have enough for you and your family and also abound to every good work around you. So everybody say this with me. Enough, enough. and extra. All right, that's really the goal. We want to believe God for enough for us and our family, but also uh, to, to do the work of the ministry, to give into the kingdom and bless those around us and, and change the world. I just, I think we ought to change the world. How many of you agree with me? We might as well. We're here, so we might as well try to accomplish something while we're down here. Now, when you talk about finances in church, Immediately, people start to have anxiety about it. I told you last week that my grandparents used to always skip that Sunday of church. And they were godly people, and they loved Jesus. But basically, the pastor was always just trying to guilt everybody into giving. And they, their church wasn't doing so hot, and they had a big building, I think. And, and so they got into a financial bind. And, and uh, so it was negative, okay? But I just want to... Go back and, and listen to that message if you weren't here. We're, we're not talking about this to, to benefit the church or, or manipulate anybody. We're trying to be really upfront. Really, what we want you to do is have a healthy relationship with your finances. That's what it's really about. We want everybody to uh, do what 3 John 2 says, which is, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. If we can think right about money, we can succeed in our finances. A lot of our problems uh, surrounding money have to do with not thinking right about it. So we want to think right about it. And that's why we're doing this series. This is going to be a pretty practical series. I'm going to give you lots of practical advice from the scripture. And, uh, you know, sometimes we do really intense theological messages. Other times we do the, the more practical application thing. And so this is the, the practical side. Last week, I basically just made this point, which was that money is just something that we, we can't wish away. We can't decide that, all you know, we're going to live in a society without money because that society doesn't exist. I mean, you can go try to live off the grid somewhere by yourself, but most of us, we live in the city and we're, we have to deal with money one way or the other. What needs to happen then is that I've got to have a healthy relationship with it. How many of you can say amen to that? Well, today I want to talk to you about how to try to do that. Um, but first of all, I just want to point out that Luke 16, 11, 
In Luke 16, 11, Jesus says that if you are not faithful and unrighteous mammon, which is talking about money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Uh, now, you're not supposed to look at this and feel condemned or stressed out or whatever. What it's supposed to do is just tell you, wow, this is a serious issue. And the way that I deal with money, money is the least important thing in the kingdom, but the way I deal with that positions me to receive true riches. What are true riches? Well, we'll find out later. A lot of times they're, they're powerful relationships with people that love us. But, but also, you know, in a practical sense, um, if, if I don't manage my money well, it can limit how much of my destiny I walk in, which is a serious thing. When I was uh, training to be, you know, a church planter, we went to this organization called ARC, uh, Association of Related Churches, and they, they, um, uh, we didn't end up going through them because our church offered us the same financial deal, and it was, it was better for us because we were just in relationship with our pastor. But I liked their training and stuff, so we went to it. But they have this process that you go through, and if if they're going to invest in you, they they check on some stuff. They do they run a background check on you, and they run your credit report, and they check on your marriage, and they do these sorts of things. And they're not trying to be mean, and they're not trying to say, well, you're not called to, to start a church. But what they're doing is they're looking to see if you manage your personal finances well, because if you do that, if you if you manage well the small things, what happens? God will give you give you more, right? And so it's not wisdom to, they, they, you know, invest financially in churches, and so they um, want to make sure that you're managing your own personal house well. And so, um, well, what do you do if, if you're not? Well, you listen to this message and you get it straightened out. Not a big deal, okay? <laughs> not a big deal. Don't, don't feel condemned. Okay. Um, but how do I have a healthy relationship with money? The first thing I've got to do is have clear values, a clear vision that drives my decision-making. I've got the scripture wrong on your notes. It should say Proverbs 29, 18. Proverbs 29, 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. The word perish in the Hebrew actually means to loosen or to live unrestrained. It's saying that when I don't have a clear picture, a clear goal, something out in front of me to look at, I will flounder. I will not live a disciplined life. If you can remember back to when you uh, took driver's ed, how do they tell you to stay in the middle of the road and not go side to side? What are you supposed to do? Remember, you got to look. You got to look far down the road. You got to look straight ahead. If you look right in front of you, if you look at the steering wheel, you're going you're gonna to swerve all over the road. But if I've got a goal out in front of me, it can keep me driving straight. Molly and I discovered this principle um, back the first time we lived here. We, we, Molly was really into running in college. She was a, a track athlete. The most I ever ran was back and forth on the tennis doubles court. I played doubles so you don't have to run as much. But anyway, my wife, she loved to run, and, and uh, she got me into it, and um, it was amazing. She, she said, you know, I was, I, we were running, and I'm like, this really sucks, honey. I can't breathe. I'm in a lot of pain, and, uh, and she, she said, well, what you do is you just keep going, and I'm like, what do you mean you just keep going? Well, you just keep going, and what I discovered was if you get past the mile, after a while, you start to feel better. 
Anybody done that? And if you, if you run a lot, we got to where we ran a couple half marathons, it actually starts to feel amazing. And that was probably the best shape I, you know, I'd been in is when we run those. But the way we would accomplish that goal is we would pay money to get in a uh, uh, race. We did the KC half marathon, the Olathe thing. So what we would do is we would see out in front of us, there's this goal. On X date, I got to run 13.1 miles. Boy, that'll, that'll restrict your behavior in the present, because if I don't want to die in the future, I need to do some running right now. And we'd run in the rain. We'd run in the cold. I ran one time with my hoodie on. There's ice stuck to my hoodie. And I'm like, all of a sudden, looking around, I'm like, I'm disciplined. And I'm not like naturally a disciplined person. I'm like, how am I doing this? Well, a lot of it has to do with having a clear goal. Clearly understanding what it is that I'm shooting for. Why, why am I here? Why am I doing these things? Proverbs 11.3 uh, says this. It says, the integrity of the upright will guide them. This is a similar concept. It's that I'm supposed to have certain core values that drive my behavior. Now, I know that I'm led by the Holy Spirit. How many of you are led by the Holy Spirit? But there should be things that you don't have to consult the Holy Spirit about. Holy Spirit, should I rob that bank? No. You don't need to ask God that. That doesn't, that's, I have a core value of thou shalt not steal, all right? It's part of my character. It's part of, part of who I am. So I'm supposed to have this, this clear understanding of what matters to me. And if I do that, it will show up in how I manage my finances, so what I want to do is just give you a clear picture of what's really important and how, to, how that plays into our finances. So what are the most important things in life? Well, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 8, that he counts all things as loss compared to the knowledge of Jesus. And he actually says he's given up everything and counts them as dung. He says that everything in my life when I compare it to Jesus, it looks like it has no value. Now, that does not mean that nothing else in his life had value. It's just saying that God is so transcendent, he's so surpassing, that he's the most important thing. He's, he's the prime. The, he uh, takes first place in everything. He's the most valuable. The most valuable way I can spend my time, my resources, is by investing in my relationship with God, getting to know God. And I want to do what the song says. I want to lay down my religion. I want to lay down my, my preconceived notions about things. And I want to know God. And I want my finances to line up with that core value. That's why I believe in giving to God first. And I, Molly and I practice that personally. Why? Not because I'm scared God will be mad at me if I don't. I'll talk more about this later. But God is first. How many of you believe God's first? So when I give to God first, what I'm doing is I'm just bringing my finances into alignment with my core values. And what, if we're honest, you know, a lot of, a lot of times we, we have these values in our heads, but sometimes they don't play out in the way we, the way we act. Okay, and if we, if we make a decision, I'm going to put God first in my finances, I'm going to put God first in every area of my life, I can promise you 
it will work out for your benefit. Matthew 6.33 says that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. So the first thing is God, right? Well, what about after that? Uh, 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If any man does not provide for his own household, his family, he is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. So that's some strong language. But the number two most important thing in life is your family or your loved ones. Now, I don't think he's saying that if your kids don't have the newest Nikes that you're, you're not a Christian, okay? That's, that's silly. What he's saying is, is that I have an obligation to my family and to those closest to me that surpasses my obligation to other people. There are people in my life that are supposed to be aware of the fact. Now, okay, now listen to me. Is everybody equally valuable to God? Yes. Absolutely. Is everybody equally important to God? Yes. Yeah, regardless of, of your race, your gender, your whatever persuasion, your, you know, whatever you, however you are, you're equally valuable to God. You're equally important. But. Not everybody is equally important to me. I'm just being real. I'm not trying to be mean, okay? But what that means is not everybody in my life has equal access to my time, my resources, and my energy. And if everybody has the same access to my time, my resources, and my energy, then that that communicates an unhealthy and unchristian message to those closest to me, to my family. Jesus did this. Jesus had one best friend named John who had more access to him than anybody else. Then he had three really, really good friends. And you'll notice sometimes Jesus would do special things just with those guys. They were the only three guys that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took them in to, to go raise uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. You know, there are people in his, in his inner circle. Then he had 12 that had more access than the 70. And then beyond that was, was the crowd. Now, why did he do that? Is it because God has favoritism? No, it's because when he was down here, he was in a physical body, and so he was limited. Now we got the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Everybody's got equal access to him. Thank God. So God's not playing favorites. You're all, you're all in the inner circle of, of Jesus, right? But not everybody ought to be in your inner circle. So I've got to manage my, my finances in such a way that, that I'm, I'm dealing with, with Jesus, I'm valuing Jesus, and then I'm valuing my family, my loved ones. How many of you can do that? Then the next most important thing is that 1 Peter 4.10 says that we are all stewards of the manifold grace of God, the many-sided, the, many the multifaceted grace of, of God. This is talking about your calling. Now, you're all called in relationship with Jesus. You're all called in relationship with your family. But beyond that, you've been given grace. What's grace? It's In this context, it's it's your abilities, your giftings, the way you see the world, the way you think about stuff. And you are unique. You're the only person like you in, in all of history. It's really phenomenal. People are a wonder. 
they're a sign that God's real because, because of their uniqueness. I love talking to people because you're all weird. <laughs> you're all different than me. You know, there's that meme or something. Everybody here is crazy except for me and you, and I'm not sure about you, but, <laughs> but, but everybody's different. Everybody's got unique gifts and callings, and it says we're supposed to be stewards of those things. What's that mean? It means I've got an obligation to find out what's unique and gifted and talented about me and use that for the benefit of God, family, and society at large. And if I spend my time and my finances figuring that stuff out and doing it, that's godly and it'll make me feel happy and fulfilled. How do you know if you're doing something that's within your grace? Ever wondered that? Because we've all got stuff that's within our grace and then we've got stuff that's outside our grace. If you're doing something in your grace, what's going to happen? It's, it's, not like, it's not like angels are singing all the time. I mean, if you're a worship pastor, they probably are. But, but for the rest of us, it's, it's, you feel this, this sense on the inside of you that, that wow, this is something I was, I was meant to do. I feel invigorated by this. It, it, Paul actually said that he labored more abundantly than anybody else according to the grace that was in him. Paul was able to work really, really hard because when he was doing stuff he was called to do, it energized him instead of draining him. Doesn't mean you never get tired. Doesn't mean you don't need a break. But how many of you know, there's things that come easier for you than other things. Because you're wired different. And that's all right. And so doing something that you are good at and enjoy is godly, even if it does not appear, appear overtly spiritual. That's a big deal for you to accept if, if you want to be happy. Because a lot of Christians feel like they aren't doing anything because they aren't, they aren't preaching like the pastor or whatever. That's not what it's about. If you can figure out something that you do that makes you feel alive, it brings glory to God. Why? Because God created you, and when you live authentically as yourself, you represent Him well. You shine for Him. My wife is a physical therapist. She's good at understanding how muscles work and how to fix people. And she's good at going to the school. She went a lot at lot of school. She has a doctorate. She's really smart. Well, when she does her job and she, she helps people get over all these musculoskeletal problems, that brings glory to God. It's an authentic expression of who she is. Well, praise God. Okay. <laughs> now, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, whatever kind of job you're doing, you're also doing the work of ministry while you're there, right? There's always people to love on in the name of Jesus, to tell about Jesus, to pray for, etc. Okay, so these are the three most important things. Everybody got that? The issue is I only have a limited amount of resources to do these three things. And the most limited resource that I have is time. Time is the most valuable resource that I have. If I manage my money well, what will happen is it will give me more time to do that which is most important. That's the issue at stake. I want to spend time with Jesus. I want to spend time with my family, and I want to spend time doing things that I am called to do. 
If I, if I manage my money well, it will create freedom in my life, which gives me more time to do this stuff. The problem that occurs is that often we have to spend a lot of time trying to get money, and we end up putting money up here instead of time, and I try to sort of buy off my family members or buy off Jesus, not, not in a mean way, but it's like I say, well, you should feel provided for because there's food on the table. Well, uh, how many of you know it's, it's great if dad, you know, you want to live in a nice house. It's great if dad does that. But it's a whole lot better if dad's there to talk to you. And so a, a, a clear plan for managing my finances, it enables me to have them under control so that I've got time to do that which is most important. That's what's really at stake here. I want to I spend my time the right way. And if I, if I have all my time and energy worried about money and, and all this, then I'm going to have less time to do that which is, which is most important. Anybody with me on that? Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist prays and he says, Teach me to number my days that I might apply my heart to wisdom. He's saying, God, please give me a time management course that I might focus on the stuff that's really important. It's a big deal. Time is limited. You can get more money. You can get more energy. You can drink coffee. It's, it's impossible to get more time. So I want to help you have a clear plan for managing your money so that you can focus on what's most important. How do you do that, Pastor? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 that there are two uses for money. Uh, let's read this scripture together, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. It says, Now he that ministers seed to the sower also ministers bread for your food and multiplies your seed sown and increases the fruit of your righteousness. I want you to notice there's two categories there. And one is that there's seed and there's bread. Give seed to sowers, bread to eaters. What's that teach me? If, if you lived in an agricultural society, this would immediately make sense to you. It made sense, I'm sure, to everybody in Paul's day. But if you're a farmer, you instinctively know that when the crop comes in, when there's a harvest, I'm, I'm required to set aside a portion of that crop because the, the seed that is in that crop will be what I plant next year. Right? And if I consume all of that, I don't have any seed for my future. And that's a major problem. What this tells us is there's two ways of using money. One is investing, and the other is consuming. I can invest my money or I can consume my money. And the problem is that a lot of times we end up eating our seed, which is when we, we consume that which was meant to be invested. We eat which, which we were supposed to plant. Now, you can also do the opposite problem. 
this happens less than our society, but sometimes people will sow what they're meant to eat. And, you know, if you're doing a good job managing your finances and you, you've got excess or whatever and you want to go out and eat a nice dinner, I mean, go for it, all right? Enjoy, enjoy the present. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, just suffer unnecessarily in the present. But number three is really important. Finding a balance leads you to have a good life in the present while planning for a better future. How many of you would like to do that? So does this make sense to you? I've got some part of my income that's supposed to be seed, and I've got some part that's supposed to be bread. And if I figure that out, it helps me not be in financial bondage so that I've got the time to do, do the important stuff. So how do you tell what's seed and what's bread? Well, the easiest thing to do always is to ask Jesus. So you can pray, you know, when you get a check or whatever, you can say, you know, what's seed, you know, how much of this is seed, how much of it's bread. But it's helpful to have a clear goal. It's helpful to have a, a clear picture. There is no law in the New Testament that tells you how much is seed and how much is bread. But there is a picture in the New Testament that helps you. And the picture, now you've got to remember that we're in a different covenant. In the old covenant, there were these laws that brought condemnation and judgment if we didn't do them. Is that how it is now? No, all that's been done away with. However, I can still look back at the Old Testament and find good moral principles in order to live by. Like I can look back there and I can see, you know, I shouldn't covet. How many of you know that's still a good idea? Covetousness is bad. That's, that's commandment number 10, if you haven't read that in a while. Coveting is still bad. Well, in the Old Testament, um, they actually had three tithes. Now, if you, depending on which rabbi or theologian you listen to, they might say it a little different. It's a little bit confusing in the Scripture. But there's at least two that are very clear. There's a tithe in, in Leviticus, and I gave you the scripture there. You can look, excuse me, in Numbers. You can look it up later. And there's a tithe in Deuteronomy. The first tithe is 10%, and it, and it went to the, the Levites to take care of the ministry, right? And then there was another tithe that I was actually supposed to save for me and my family for their benefit later. This lines up with what Joseph did when there were seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. What did he do to, to prepare for the seven years of famine? He saved a fifth, which is 20% of everything that came in. In my opinion, the way that God thinks about this is you're supposed to, you're, is that in your income, your immediate goal ought to be that 20% of it is seed, which is forgiving and saving or investing, and then 80% of it is bread, which is consumption. So your food, clothes, shelter, entertainment, etc. This is not a law. If you don't do this, is God mad at you? No. no, God loves you, all right? What this is, is a principle, a goal that can help you. Now, many of you probably are already doing this or, or more, but if you're not, I wanted to give this to you to... to uh, give you a goal to, to immediately reach for. Now, if you listen to like Dave Ramsey or something, he'll tell you it, it, it ought to be, you ought to have more seed than that. And, and I would agree with him, that ought to be the goal afterwards. So this is the immediate goal. 
But then as your income increases, you want to consume less and save more. So the goal would be eventually to get down to where I'm, you know, I've got 30% seed and then 40 and 50 or, or whatever until you reach a place of financial freedom, which we'll talk about next week. Is everybody all right with that? Does that, does that help? It's a clear target. That's all it is. Letter C, windfalls. What's a windfall? It's when you unexpectedly receive finances. The, the challenge that a lot of times happens when we unexpectedly receive finances is we think, oh, this is great. I can go buy that new TV that I wanted or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's not terrible. Again, if you're doing well planning for your future and you want to do that, I'm, I'm not mad at you, but I'd encourage you that probably it's better to see windfalls and seed. Save them. When you get that check at the end of the year from your taxes, it's a good idea to, to save at least, at least most of that. Put it in the index fund. I'll talk more about that later. Now, you might say, Pastor, I can't do that right now. Well, what do you do about it? First of all, number one, don't condemn yourself. Calm down. All right, when you tell people, you got you to save people like, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> my my uh, wife, she used to work for this guy. And uh, so this guy managed her physical therapy clinic. Okay, so he was the boss of, of this uh, physical therapy clinic. I'm sure he made, you know, he easily made six figures. And... Uh, he was talking one day about Dave Ramsey. I don't think he was a Christian, but he knew who Dave Ramsey was. And he's like, you know, Dave Ramsey says you gotta, you got to save like 10% of your income or 15%. Nobody can do that. And Molly's like, yeah, you can. <laughs> maybe, not, maybe not doing what you're doing because he just bought a brand new Mustang that cost We've got to shift our priorities. These, these things have to become a, a major goal for us. But if we, can't, if we can't do it, if our income is too low or something or we've got too much debt, the first thing to do is just, is just to quit stressing out. Don't feel bad. God loves you right where you are, all right? But then recognize this is the goal. I need to, I need to shift stuff in my life to head this way because I want to get ahead. And if I never have any seed, I'm never going to get ahead. That's just the reality. And I want to get ahead. And I don't want to live, why not, Pastor? Because, why, why do I want to get ahead? Because it's, it's not because I want to be able to, to you know, buy a Bentley or something. I mean, it's fine. I don't care. But what I really care about is not being in bondage to this so that I've got the time to do that which is most important. That's what it's about. So you, you then, don't condemn yourself, then pray for God to shift for the grace for the ability to shift things in your life so that you can. Then pray. Believe God for increased finances. Believe God for a raise. Believe God for a different job. Believe Him for a business idea. I don't know. But you can, you can increase your income. Number four, this is one of the most powerful things you can do, is you can cut unnecessary expenses. Uh, cable is un unreal expensive. You don't need cable. You can get rabbit ears. Get Netflix. It costs like ten dollars. Right, I haven't had cable in years. You don't need a smartphone. You don't. It's fun to have one, but if I don't have any seed, 
The seed's more important. Just being real. You don't have to eat out. You don't have to buy, you know, I don't buy the organic bananas. I know, that's, I know that might be <laughs> shocking to some of you, but, but I maintain this physique on the Walmart banana, the cheap, the cheap banana. Praise God. I buy the cheap gas. I buy my kids clothes from Goodwill. Garage sales. Now, you might say, well, Pastor, you've got a poverty mentality. No, I don't. I spend money on stuff I value. I'll go buy my wife a nice dinner. But why am I going to spend, you know, $10 a pop on my kids' clothes? They just, they just, you know, puke on it and stuff. I mean, they just, they just ruin it. And they grow out of it in like five minutes. Now, when they get older, I, you know, I can buy them nicer clothes or whatever. But, I mean, we don't have to buy this stuff. If I don't have any seed, only the barest bones purchases are essential. That's really the way i got to think about it. It's, it's imperative that I get some seed. Now, just, just to help you think about this the right way, let's pretend all of a sudden that there was a 30-year-old. And this 30-year-old, he did good, and he saved some seed. And he got $1,000. How many of you know that's, that's a good chunk of seed? Praise God. But then he saw an ad. At Walmart for a sale on a 65-inch 4K smart TV. Cost $1,000 marked down from $1,800. And he thought, that is a good deal. I need that TV. See, if I don't have a clear goal, I'll live unrestrained. And my money will just go places. And so he buys the TV. Well, a lot of us think, well, he's just out $1,000. He can get that back. Sort of. If that was his seed, then he was supposed to take it and invest it. And if he'd have bought a S&P 500 index fund, some cheap, no-load thing, and held it until he retired, about 36 years, if he made 8% interest, which is totally reasonable on on that deal historically, if he'd have kept that, that $1,000 would have been worth $15,968.17. So that TV did not cost $1,000. It cost $16,968.17. Because the TV cost him, not just the cost of the TV, but the opportunity cost of investing. It's a big deal. If you think about that the right way, it'll, it'll help you think right. So again, what do I do if I can't meet this goal currently? Again, don't condemn yourself. Don't feel bad. God loves you. But you may, in the long run, it might be necessary to invest in yourself and acquire a new job skill or start a business or, or something like that. Everybody okay? I love you. The reason I'm telling you this is to, is, is to help you, okay? Do you know that the Bible... <laughs> says 365 times something to the effect of don't fear. You know that? And usually it's when something really scary is happening. When God says something, the command carries with it the grace to do that thing. That's a really good word. God, God never... 
tells you to do something and then, and then expects you to do it in your flesh. In the commandment, in, in the wisdom, in the download from heaven, there is the ability to do that thing. Here's what I believe, okay, is that by hearing this message today, there is a grace that is being released. Now, how do you access that? By faith, by believing it. There is a grace being released right now to get to an 80-20 split. How many of you will receive that? There's, there's grace to get here. You can do it. Why? Because God's speaking to you about it. If God's speaking to you about it, He's not saying, well, you're a terrible Christian because you don't know how to manage money. No, that's silly. But He's saying, I want you to have freedom. I don't want you to be in bondage to money. I want you to have the time to do that which is most important to you. And so there's a grace being released to do these things. I'll talk more about these next week, but really, I mean, this is, if, if I can do this, if I can get to a place where my income regularly exceeds my expenditures, that's the first step towards money mastery, towards being in control of my finances. Doing that helps me to breathe and enables me to increasingly focus on what's most important. So that's what this is about. We want you to have enough for you and abound to every good work. Some questions I'd encourage you to ask myself, ask yourself, is, is letter A, do I have any seed or margin? And then how close is it to 20% of my income? You know, be honest. I, I know these things about my personal finances. I know them about the church finances. I know, um, you know, we run the church pretty conservative. It's a little bit different if you're running a business because you've got to kind of balance. But the church last year lived off of uh, 61% of its, of its income. Uh, we'll never go broke doing that. And we could go faster by being more aggressive and stuff, but I come from a conservative background, okay? And so, um, anyway, be real with yourself. How close is it to 20%? And then, and then if it's not there, what can I do to increase my seed? So how can I make more money or how can I cut expenditures? And then letter C is really important. Who can help hold me accountable to make these changes? Probably your spouse. If you're married, if not, a good friend. Talk to somebody about this. Be honest with them. Be, be real. Say, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I know God loves me where I'm at, but he wants, I want to get my finances under control. And so here's my goal. I'm trying to get to 20% seed. Will you, will you ask me about it periodically? Can I check in with you and tell you how I'm doing? Is that all right? All right. Let's all stand up. I love you. I hope that helps you. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you wisdom so that we can, I want you to succeed in your finances. If my prayer team could come down here. If you want prayer about this, I'd encourage you to come get prayer. Believe God. I'm, I believe in financial miracles. You might be in debt. That might be the problem that you, you've got that's hindering you. You can believe God to get out of that thing. Praise God. Josh and Nicole down here, they wouldn't mind me telling you this. They have a great testimony. They, God told them to come out here and help us, but they were in debt, and they're like, we can't do it. And then God sold their house, and they paid off all their debt. And it was, it was $40,000 of debt, gone. So praise God, these things can happen. We can believe God for breakthrough. So anyway, I'm going to pray for everybody, and then if you need personal prayer, you come down here, and we'll agree with you in prayer. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for financial breakthrough. We thank you for the grace to manage our money in a healthy way so that we can focus on what's most important. And Lord, we just thank you for that. We receive it. We worship you. And I just, I just, if there's anybody feeling condemned right now, I just ask you, Lord, that your love would just surround them, that you would just whisper to them that they're awesome, that they don't need to feel bad, and that they can just they can receive this, and they can shift things, and they can start to overcome and have victory. And Lord, we just thank you, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.